Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. In 1988, Groucho Marx's son wrote that Groucho resigned from the Hillcrest Country Club with this letter. Dear board, I don't want to belong to any club that would have me as a member. Sincerely yours, Groucho Marx. This week's Parsha brings up a topic that is as central to Judaism as it is difficult, challenging, and awkward. The idea of chosenness, of election. The rabbis have struggled with this idea for centuries. Did God choose Israel? Is that true? If so, what does it mean? What does chosenness even mean? Does it mean that the Jews are in God's country club? Could be. In our liturgy for the Torah service we, we just had, we just said this. This is what we spoke. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam asher bachar banu mikol ha-mim benatan lanu et Torah to. Baruch atah Adonai noten ha-Torah. Remember that? Wasn't that long ago. All right, wake up, people. And that means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and given us his Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. So what do we do with this kind of thinking? Does it mean that some are in the club and the others are outside the club? Does it lead to arrogance? I mean, aren't we all equal, right? So how do we talk about this? Well, one way to talk about election or chosenness is to talk about love. One of the ways that the rabbis have understood the love of God for his people is through interpreting the Song of Songs, which is a romantic love poem in the scriptures, and they've done midrash on that. Uh, And so this is a quote from Mark Hirschman, who is a professor at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, quote, Four events are singled out by various sages as the historical setting in which the Song of Songs was chanted. These four events are the salvation at the sea. Remember, we read from that, uh, I believe, last week. The revelation at Sinai, which is this week. God settling into the tabernacle in the desert. And finally, God's dwelling in the temple. My own comment here, what the rabbis are doing is they're reimagining the scripture in a creative way. They're understanding God's passionate love for Israel through these these events where he dwells with them. Does that make sense? So back to Hirschman. The proponents of each view, it would seem, saw that the particular event as the apogee of the love between God and Israel. It was then the single most appropriate moment when this love song cherished by the sages for its mutual and reciprocal love between God and Israel was chanted. Were people other than the Jews given entry to these most intimate moments of revelation? The school of Yishmael's unique position portrayed the revelation at Sinai as accessible to, 
quote, all who came into the world. This is, in fact, the reason, according to that school, that the Torah was revealed where? In the desert, rather than on Israel's home turf, unquote. So here we have the rabbis already struggling with this idea of chosenness and love. And if chosenness shows love, then what about those that are not, quote unquote, chosen? Well, we see the first person that is chosen uh, is, is who? It's Abel, right? Do you remember, you remember this story? Probably not from you know, experiencing it, but you maybe have read about it. It was quite a long time ago. But um, we see, even though that God chooses Abel and his offering, what does God do? He also ministers to Cain, right? He encourages him. He says, you know, you have this, there's this violent animal nature, but you need to overcome that, right? He's trying to encourage Cain to follow his, his ways. God chooses Isaac, right? But he shows love and concern to Ishmael and Hagar. Remember this story? He cares for them in the desert. What does he provide? A well of water. What is the well in the Torah? That is God's presence. It's his sustaining love. God's love is unique for Israel, but it's not only for Israel, not by a long shot. One way to think about love and chosenness is that it is specific. <clears throat> my love for one person is not the same as my love for another, right? Because these are different people. A generic love, if I just said, oh, I love all y'all, right? But that it wouldn't be genuine. God, who knows you by name, knows the hairs on your head, knows your inmost thoughts, who knows your weaknesses and failings and dreams and desires and calling. He loves you specifically as you, not a generic creation, right? A random being with like a, a barcode or something like that, but he loves you specifically because he knows you, right? And knowing and love are tied in the Torah, right? We know that. Mm -hmm. So it would stand that God's love expressed as chosenness is not a generic love, but it's tailored to each person. Chosenness is also connected to covenant. God makes different covenants. He makes agreements with all of humanity. He makes agreements with individuals, and he makes agreements with the Jewish people. And he ties himself to these people and these agreements. So if you take away the, God, the idea that God chooses in love, you're taking away the covenantal nature of God, his promises. It's, it's a relational idea. Further, chosenness is also painful. It's related to suffering, right? Abraham and Isaac went through the binding of Isaac. They both went through that together. They were the chosen ones, right? And Jacob's life, we know, was very tumultuous. Um, Abel, the first person who was chosen, how did he end up, right? He, was, he died at the hand of his, of his brother, Right? So this idea is connected also that it's not, you're not elevated and special, but chosenness is also you, you go through it. You know, Connected to this idea is the idea of a higher accountability for those who are chosen. 
consider Paul's statement about the priorities of gospeling and also accountability in Romans. This is really unique how Paul puts this together. So in chapter one, he says this, for I am not ashamed of the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who trusts, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or the nations. And then in chapter two, he adds this, there will be trouble and hardship for every human soul that does evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek, the nations. But there will be glory and honor and shalom to everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. Isn't that interesting how he ties those tensions together? I like how Paul does that. He's highlighting the accountability first of Israel and then the nations. And then he's concluding that we're all supposed to hear the gospel. We're all accountable to God, but also that there's a priority and an order and a direction. But that doesn't mean that there is favoritism. God loves all people by respecting the unique chosenness of Israel and the unique chosenness of the nations. There's also a mediation of blessing in chosenness. Blessing, uh, by mediation, I mean kind of, this is a word I made up, but throughness. If you can imagine a throughness. Blessing is supposed to go through chosen people. No one is chosen for their own sake, for their own glory, but the purpose of blessing others. Thus, Israel is glorified in brightness for what? To be a light to the nations. That's repeated over and over in the scriptures, to spread the blessing and the knowledge of God so that the light is also upon all the nations. Uh, finally, chosenness shows more about the character of God than the one who is chosen. God didn't choose Jacob because he was a, a great guy. We know he wasn't, right? It's, it's kind of awkward how, uh, how morally dubious Jacob is when we read this and we're like, really? This guy? But what does that say? It shows that God loves the Jewish people no matter what. And it doesn't point to their uh, or our specialness. It points to how faithful God is, right? He is the God of Jacob. He's tied himself, his very name, his very identity to, to this man, to Jacob, right? And so he has with us. So does this love, chosenness, election extend only to Israel? We've, we've seen how it's emphasized with Israel, but also it is extended. There's an emphasis and an extension. It's both and. Take, for example, Deuteronomy 2. Here we see other nations outside of the children of Jacob given an inheritance, including instructions for how Israel is to treat the descendants of Esau, right, who was, quote, unquote, not chosen. This is what it says. Then the Lord said to me, you have made your way around this hill country long enough. Now turn north, give the people these orders. You are about to pass through the territory of your relatives, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but be very careful. Do not provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land, not even enough to put your foot on. I have given Esau the hill country of Seir as his own. You are to pay them in silver for the food you eat and the water you drink, right? So here again, we see God's care. They have the, the descendants of Esau have an inheritance. 
they are chosen, right? It's, it's not just Israel that has a, a covenant and land and love, right? There's an extension of that. And, uh, and then we come to the passage of this week's Parsha, which uh, actually Kathy read a little bit earlier so beautifully. Um, it proclaims the uniqueness of the Jewish people, and it holds this tension, because there's a tension to it between God's universal love for everyone and God's particular love for the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's see how this unfolds. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Let's say that together a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we see this repeated in the new covenant scriptures. It's repeated in 1 Peter 2, right? And, it, and we see that there it applies more broadly. But first, in the Torah, the kingdom of priests, or you could translate it royal priesthood, it applies to the Jewish people. The holy set-apart nation, the treasured possession, the chosenness goes through Israel to the nations. Chosenness always has direction and dynamic movement. Let me say that again. Chosenness always has direction and dynamic movement. So now I have a question for you. This is a, a, an easy one. Uh, typical Sunday school question with a typical Sunday school answer. Who is the most chosen individual? Okay, Yeshua, right? You know it was bound to be that, right? It had to be that answer. Amen. And none of us is him. And we're okay with that, right? We're not all clamoring to be the savior of the world. We don't need to take on the sins of the world for ourselves. And so we understand in some way he is chosen as the exalted son of David, and we are not. We're not chosen to be that, but we are chosen to follow him. Not only that, but he fits the pattern of chosenness that we saw with Israel because he is the one man Israel, right? First, remember, chosenness shows love. The Gospel of John shows that there is a particular love relationship, unique between the father and the son, right? We read that, that when he says, um, your love is made manifest in, in me, and I am in you, and you are in me. There's a uniqueness to that love relationship between the father and son that we are, of course, connected to, but we're not, it doesn't quite describe us, right? The love of God is manifest in Yeshua and goes through him to the rest of humanity. Remember, chosenness also shows covenant. Yeshua, as the one who is chosen, enacts a renewed covenant at the last Passover Seder and brings to fullness all the other covenants, those with Noah, with humanity, and with Israel. Yeshua, like Abel, who is the first chosen person, what happens? He suffers unto death. His chosenness means a life 
uh, acquainted with sorrow, acquainted with anguish and grief. Chosenness also means that the blessing does not stop with that person, right? But purposefully goes through them. It, it's a mediation of blessing. Yeshua is chosen for a unique calling as the only eternal high priest, right? He is the royal priesthood because he is the king, royal, and priest, right? He's the fullness of that, of that idea. And finally, Yeshua's chosenness highlights the faithfulness and goodness of God, which is perhaps why he consistently points to the goodness of the Father whenever others try to give him the glory. Have you noticed that? It's kind of interesting in the, in the gospel accounts, right? He says, why do you call me good, right? It's not that he's, uh, he's not good, but he's allowing that goodness to glorify his Father, and he's glorified in that. It's a unique uh, position that Yeshua has. So now you may say, okay, I get what you're saying, but where are you going with this, David, right? What's the point? Well, I think this foundation gives us two basic applications. One is that as a Messianic Jewish community, if we move toward affirming but not elevating Jewish identity, we know why we're doing that, right? If we uh, uh, talk about unique uh, Jewish identity markers, such as uh, the Talit, for example, and we bring boundaries to it, we understand why we're doing that. We're not trying to elevate um, uh, the Jewish people, but we're trying to um, move forward in a way that describes chosenness as it is expressed in Scripture, right? In a way that's covenantal, in a way that people don't feel like second-class citizens, the other application is to avoid thinking about chosenness as special status. This concept often gets hijacked by pride, and it can lead to divisiveness and a kind of thinking that's like us versus them, right? In the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, the Pharisee proudly prays out loud so everyone can hear, I thank you, God, I'm not like those sinners right? I'm not like that, that tax collector over there, right? There's many ways to create this kind of thinking. Oh, that person is not Jewish. Oh, that person is not a follower of Yeshua. That person doesn't believe the same as I do. That person has a different political viewpoint, right? It it's an, uh, creates an us versus them. It creates arrogance. It's not the way to go. It's not the way of the Lord. We are not better than or less than another human, no matter what their origin or beliefs, right? That's not what chosenness is about. Taking these two applications together, we have to find a way to be okay with our unique identities without being proud or ashamed. We have to respect distinctions and respect that others are also made in the image of God, as Kathy reminded us earlier. We can affirm God's choosing the Jewish people and God's choosing the nations as tensions that both exist in the scriptures and in the heart of the creator. Amen. All right, let's pray. Abba, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the different facets of chosenness and the ways that we can approach it um, as Jews as non-Jews, as male and female, the way that we can 
um, have relationship with you. And we thank you, Lord, that the key to all of this is humility. The key to all of this is being, uh, being low before you and acknowledging that you are our king and that other humans are made in your image, Lord. Help us to be humble. Help us to, um, to gospel in ways that show your faithfulness, in ways that point back to your goodness. Help us to get your word inside of us in a way that we can make it all about you, Lord. Help us to be gospelers and proclaimers of your truth in a way that's bold, but also in a way that's humbled. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.